Welcome to episode 20 of Talking Wild Madness. This is uh, Adam. Uh, it, it has been a outrageous few days, an absolute outrageous few days. And I have to say in the, I was going to say in the pantheon of days, but that's that's not right. Um, in, in, in the category of days, in the category of like a, a bunch of days, I think for your days to be outrageous, I think that's a really good thing. I think that's a really good thing. Uh, so the topics, the, the, the topics that we're going to cover today, and uh, because it's the twentieth episode, we're also going to put a song on at the end of the of the program, at the end of the show or the program. Oh, I might be showing my age, but that's okay. I don't mind. I'm actually feeling very. I was feeling extraordinarily uh, flat and and I might even say depressed today or earlier on today or maybe even yesterday. I'm not sure. There's a reluctance to admit to circumstance in my head. There's a deep reluctance because I think if you admit to something, you give it oxygen and you give it you give it food. Now, if you give if you give good stuff oxygen, if you give good stuff oxygen, obviously that's great. But in my head, if you give if you give bad stuff oxygen, uh, then that's no good. That that that's um, yeah. So there's a reluctance. I want I want to keep a distance between myself and the potential for. Uh, complete self-indulgent misery and destruction, uh, which will ultimately um, lead down the path of 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 self-destruction and suicide. Now, I'm in no, I'm in no danger of of suicide. I I am in danger of self-destruction. I think to some degree, but I'm I'm, I'm certainly not in danger of of suicide. But I mean, I suppose self-destruction. In, in a sense, in a long in a long term sense, I, I I might be I might be in danger of a long suicide, not a short, quick suicide. So I, I think there's a difference. But I mean, even being alive is is in in a sense is is submitting to the fact that you're dying. Uh, you know, I mean, and that's not like a, that's not a new thought or anything, but you know, it happen it, ha- it happens to be true. Uh, when you admit to being alive, when you admit to existing, when you are who you are, I tell you, man, oh, my Lord. Yeah, okay. As I approach 40, and I'm approach, as I approach 40, it, it's, it's, there's, there's nothing but good feelings. When I, when I was approaching 30, it was a horror show. And I had a absolute, I had I had such a crisis of uh, I had such an existential crisis as I approached thirty. I might have talked about this already. Uh, I l- literally lost my mind, and in response to that crisis, I wrote my the, my first book, my dog gave me the clap. Still available on Amazon, by the way. Um, but forty has none of that. Has none of the dread. Has absolutely none of the dread whatsoever. 
Um, I, I, I don't, yeah, I really don't feel, yeah, it doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't even feel like an occasion. And that's not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I'm avoiding meditating on turning 40. It literally is not a thing at all. And, and I think that hopefully, hopefully that's a good sign. Hopefully that is evidence of, if I dare say, a life well lived that I've, I've, I've put in some, uh, I've put in, I've put in some work or I've, I've, I've done a few things that I've, the things that I've set out to do, I've actually done a couple, a few of them or, or one or two of them or whatever. Uh, so turning 40 is, 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 is nothing. It doesn't feel like anything. And I think I'm in better shape than I was in when I was in, when I was 30 uh, so yeah, so turning 40 is no big deal, but it's been an outrageous few days. It's been an absolutely outrageous few days. Uh, now before I started the podcast, I, uh, asked Tom because it was episode 20 to give me a topic to start and I've already forgotten what the topic was. It was something about being bogged. Like, was it being bogged in poetry? Let me just try and check this without turning everything off. I think he said something about being bogged inside inside poetry. So hang on, there might be a few, well, there will be a few phone noises and whatnot and what have yous. Okay, so he said, uh, the poetry of getting bogged. Okay, so at some stage, at some stage in this in, in in the podcast in episode twenty, uh, we're going to be talking about the poetry of getting bogged. And can I say again? And I know I've said this a hundred. I know I've said that there are things that I say. Oh, I think we might have covered this already. But can I actually say how delighted I am to have reached uh, podcast number twenty? Uh, because I. Podcast number one was a, a terrifying ordeal for me. And uh, before I even recorded podcast number one, I maybe took, honestly, maybe four years or five years just to work up the courage to record episode uh, one. So to now be on episode 20 and to feel somewhat, um, I wouldn't say comfortable, but just to feel like, okay, we're, we're out, we're exposed, and we're just recording podcasts now. Uh, that, that, that's really tremendous. We're up, we're up to 333 uh, listens. Now, if you're, if you're in the Joe Rogan uh, studio, 333 listens is not, uh, is not a tremendous amount. I think um, my colleagues over in the JRE Experience studios are experiencing something like 15 to 20 million listens a month, uh, which is, which, <laughs> uh, but I'm still calling them colleagues and, uh, yeah, you know, so we're, we're, we're nipping at the heels. We're, we're nipping at the key at the heels of, of Achilles. Are we nipping at the heels of Achilles or are we nipping at the heels of Mercury? No, I think we're nipping at the heels of Achilles. Yeah, I think we're nipping at the heels of Achilles, and, and and I'm happy to nip. I'm happy. I'm happy to nip. So the 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 last few days 
has has been insanely busy has been has been busy beyond belief and and I and I came to a realization the other day that oh that's Wilco at the door and he wants to get out Wilco just can you just hang on for one second it's not all about you it's mostly about you I I understand but just hang on for a second but I came to the realization that and I think this is also this is why forty is not a big deal. And and I I hope this doesn't come across as me uh, talking myself up or, or 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 that kind of stuff. But I have I have uh, I have achieved a, a, a few things that I set out to achieve. And before I was thirty, I had I had a, a let's say a, a a gallery or a pantheon of objectives that I wanted to achieve. And as I was approaching 30, I really hadn't achieved any of them at all. Uh, and then at, as I as I went towards 30, there was this overwhelming sense of dread of you, you've done nothing. You, it, you're, you're now 30. And then there was, a, there was also the accompanying sense of uh, it's the death of your of your childhood. Like it's the death of your teenage years. It's the death of your you're not a young man anymore. You're turning into a, into a thirty-year-old. You're you know you're officially, on paper, an adult. If you sailed into Ellis Island in nineteen oh eight, on an Italian steamboat, and you were twenty-nine or thirty, they would stamp your ticket as an adult. There'd be absolutely no question whatsoever. If you were twenty-two or twenty-four. Well, in, in, in Ellis Island in 1908, they'd probably still stamp you as, as an adult. I think the Italians, I think the Italians actually raised the age of marriage to 12 in, in 1900. So, yeah, so, okay, so that, 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 that point's a little different. But heading towards 40, there's a few, uh, there's a few runs on the board, so to speak. And I got to thinking this today. Uh, while I was while I was playing in um, in Bunbury, I was playing at the Old Coast Brewery today, and the Old Coast Brewery does two things really well. They make incredible beer, and they make an incredible variety of beer. And I tried to drink all of them, uh, and they also attract flies like no one I've ever like. I I don't think if if you put a brewery in the middle of the Sahara Desert, and you covered the outside of the brewery in molasses and sugar, and then outside of the boundary of the brewery that was doused in molasses and sugar, you you had a caravan of camels who were continuously uh, uh, drinking milk and shitting. I don't think you'd have more flies there than than the Old Coast Brewery had today on the outside. So the flies were teeming. They were teeming. It, it, I actually swallowed a fly in the middle of, of a song, and it was right at the, it was, it was at the crest of a great chorus, um, and I took a great inhalation of breath because I had to cover, I had to cover the, the, the real estate of the chorus. And the chorus was a big one, and it had it had a certain amount of moves and a certain amount of words and a certain amount of lines, and you had to get to a certain point, so you had to take a big breath before you launched into the chorus. You couldn't just you couldn't just 
yeah, you couldn't just sing. You couldn't sing with a half gasp. You had to really, yeah, you had to really suck in the air, suck in the oxygen. Which also gets back to uh, not giving not giving oxygen to things that are uh, are negative, or giving giving oxygen to things that can possibly, if given enough oxygen, to destroy your life. Whereas this chorus, uh, and this is a song. Actually, maybe this could be the song we put at the end of the uh, at the end of the of the show. Uh, we might put the coast at the end of the show because. The chorus for the coast is like a big chorus, uh, and 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 it's like a it's a rising explosive, uh, dare I say, edifying uh, chorus. Wilco is dying to get out. Sorry. Uh, so I was I was in the Old Coast Brewery, and Wilco was there too. There you go, Mister. And they had flies for days. They had flies for days. But I was thinking of a uh, an idea. It's a it's it's half well. It's cross between Charles Bukowski and the Wizard of Oz movie. And the the, the Charles Bukowski quote. And I think this is from the book Factotum. And it's in the movie Factotum as well. And if you haven't seen the movie Factotum, F-A-C-T-O-T-U-M. And I think Factotum means um, a man of many small jobs or something like that. And the the, the movie has, uh, I think it's Matt Dillon. I think it's Matt Dillon. And I think it's the best thing he's ever done. But there's a, there's a line in... Um, there's a line in, in, in the movie, and it comes from the book Factotum. And if you're a Charles Bukowski fan, Charles Bukowski is a, is a tremendous poet, uh, but he, he, he wrote three great books, three great novels, I, in my opinion. He wrote a book called Women, and he wrote uh, Ham on Rye, which was his autobiography, and then he wrote uh, Factotum. Now, he also wrote uh, Pulp, which... <laughs> which is a piece of shit. And he also wrote Post Office, which was like his first book. So he gets a pass for that. Now, George Orwell, he gets a pass for his first book, Down and Out in Paris and London. Now, Down and Out in Paris and London for George Orwell was his like entry into the literary marketplace. It wasn't a terrible book. Post Office by Bukowski is really, it's quite sloppy. I don't think it's a great book. And maybe it's not a great book in retrospect because women, Ham on Rye and Factotum are so, so damn good. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Um, but down, I, I'd recommend reading Down and Out in Paris and London. I, I, I definitely would. Uh, and then, and then, you know, then uh, Animal Farm, 1984, uh, Wigan Pier, what have you. But there's a, there's a good place. Anyway, there's a good place for first books. There's a good place. There's a, there's, a, there's a place for first books. So Charles Bukowski in Factotum says that what a man needs is success. And he's having a, he's having a discussion with his partner in the movie at the time or in the book at the time or both. And uh, he says that's, that's the key to, to, to a life. 
and not necessarily a man. I think I think the same holds true for women, although not being a woman, uh, I I don't know. But I, I yeah, I, it'd be actually interesting if anyone wants to leave a comment on the uh, voicemail in the on the anchor website. Um, then by all means, please do, and and uh, I'd I'd love to hear if if this if this also is true for women. But this idea of success being important now it's not it doesn't have to be success in business it doesn't have to be success in uh say love or i think i think what he's really talking about is like a mastery of something is a mastery of something and what i was thinking today it's it's pulling the curtain back on existence it's pulling the curtain back on life and you and you get to figure out oh how that works and you get to figure out, oh, let me look behind that curtain. Oh, oh, that's how that works. And you not only, and, and the only way you get to actually really pull back the curtains, and life is full of curtains. Life is literally a, a uh, is it, uh, can I use menagerie? Is it, is it, it's an, a menagerie of curtains that you are able to pull back and have a look behind. So for, um, yeah, to, 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 to make the analogy, for, for me, say, seeing someone on stage playing music and singing, before I, before, I be, uh, before I was that guy, looking at someone on stage playing music was like a very mysterious thing. And it was like, what on earth is that fella up to? That, that this is a very strange, uh, deeply complex, mysterious thing that I'm witnessing. And that is something I could never, ever imagine myself doing at, at, at any stage in my life well it, it, you know it's very good it's very good to get behind the curtain of that and 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 get up on stage and sing some songs and be that person and in that sense you you get to you get to look behind the curtain you get to be you get to be the wizard of oz behind that behind that curtain you get to see what it's all about you get to see how simple it is to be that person and it loses its its mystery instantly instantly it loses its mystery um who was i talking to today ah i was talking to lynn today now lynn is a uh winemaker lynn uh, now i think it's i think i think the uh, dynamics of the operation have changed slightly uh but Recently, Lynn was a winemaker and a restaurateur, and now Lynn might just be a winemaker and not a restaurateur anymore. But Lynn, <clears throat> excuse me, Lynn was a winemaker. Now, for me, looking at a winemaker is is exactly the same as what it was looking at a at a singer twenty years ago. Like I'm, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a winemaker thinking. Oh my lord, how does that work? What are these what are these people? How do they do this? This is a, a phenomenal feat. How how does this come together? How do these people construct their existence and produce uh bottles of of really really good wine? Now, this is the other thing. Um I don't know how to make wine. I don't know how to become a winemaker. But because I've pulled enough curtains back, I know that if I wanted to, I could become a winemaker like Lynn. 
and 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 a, and a part of that would be talking to Lynn a hell of a lot and asking Lynn and Michael or her partner about how how does one do that. But if you pull enough curtains back, all of a sudden the world doesn't look that daunting. If if you if you get to either become or see the wizard behind the curtain, life is not that daunting. It's actually quite, it, it, it almost becomes a game. Well, it is a game. It becomes a game of how many curtains can I pull back? All right, can I be a musician? Can I be an author? Can I be a winemaker? Can I, can I, be, a, um, can I be a distiller? You know, can I be a ballet dancer? Can I be a, a tennis player? Can I be a, a, an accountant? Can I be a mechanic? And the answer is yes, you can. Yes, 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 yes. Can I be an architect? Yes. Can I be an engineer? Yes. Because you get in the habit of pulling back enough curtains and getting behind the curtains. Um, there's no curtain you can't pull back. There's no curtain you can't pull back. And then it almost becomes a game of, oh, which curtain am I going to pull back next? So I, I went to, uh, I went, we, we went back to Noble Falls Tavern, myself and John. Now, for me, going to Noble Falls Tavern to play, and we went to play uh, for someone's wedding that was, they were locals of the pub. And I, I think we talked about this, talked about this a few podcasts ago, but we went back to play for this wedding. So, um, we were essentially a wedding band. We we turned into a wedding band last night, um, and 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 in my insane in my insane ego in my insane curtain pulling ego, uh, you know, Murder Mouse, the band, we we've we've played we've played in Malaysia, we've played in Singapore, we've 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 done two tours of Canada, you know, we're gonna play at the Cahors Blues Festival in France. We, well, yesterday we were a wedding band at a at a pub, and and it was fantastic. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with it. But when when I went, so so I drove from Albany up to Perth, which is about a four hundred kilometer drive. Um, and if you live in Australia, and particularly if you live in Western Australia, a four hundred kilometer drive is the equivalent of maybe a fifteen minute drive anywhere else in the world so if i was living in europe i think i would have maybe crossed three different countries depending on whereabouts i started in europe uh, but in, in in australia in western australia yeah you literally can you can drive for uh, 36 hours and still be in, in the same country so thankfully i didn't have to drive for 36 hours but i drove for i drove for four and a half hours and drove from albany to perth and I got to John's house, uh, and the gig was 20 minutes away from, from John, Noble Falls, 20, 25 minutes away. And when I got to John's house, uh, I, I went and sat out the back, and his, uh, his kids were uh, out the back running around on their skateboards, on the trampoline, and they had, uh, I think, four or five friends over, and they were playing. And, and it was all, it was all a bit of, it was, it was gorgeous. It was lovely. It was all, all a bit of loveliness. And there was this music cranking, like blaring, blaring music. And I was like, 
I didn't say anything, but I was like, oh, this music's really quite loud. This is, um, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon and it was, it was almost like a nightclub loud volume. And it, like, it was so loud that you would sit there and you, you would kind of, you, you'd definitely be tapping your feet and you might even give it a bit of shoulder action at the same time. Like that's how loud it was. And that's what kind of music it was. It, uh, the, what was the song? It was Celine Dion, the Titanic song, but it was put to a electronic, uh, like a, a dance beat. So there was, there was all that happening. And I, John was talking to a builder when I arrived who was going to do some work on his house or, or add an extension or add, add a, I think he was adding a studio to, to the side of his house. Uh, so I was sitting there by myself for like 10 minutes while he was still chatting with the builder. And then he came and sat down after the builder had left. And it turns out that this music that was playing, that this was coming from the neighbor. It wasn't coming from John's house at all. But it sounded, it was so loud, it sounded like it was coming from uh, the backyard. And it turns out that their neighbor is a 70, 70-year-old 70 eccentric uh, madman who likes to torture John and his family with loud dance music every now and then. Now, it's not often, and apparently it's every, like, three months. And it happens, what triggers this, this fella, this, this old boy next door, is if John... John and Anna's children, if they make too much noise early on in the morning, then their old neighbor uh, next door, I can't remember his name. <clears throat> I can't remember, was it Kevin or John? No, it wasn't John. But, it, but if, if John's young, young kids make too much noise in the morning, then their crazy neighbor, oh, it might be Henry, actually. Their crazy neighbor, Henry, just just goes bananas and, and blasts this music. Now, you have to give it to Henry, the old fella. Like, okay, the volume, it was literally out of control. Like, it was it was ridiculous. But he had some good taste in music. He was playing some, you know, it was okay. He was playing some early Elton John. Uh, and I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't mind the Celine Dion Titanic remix trance dan uh, electronica. I have to say, um, and he was playing a few other tunes, but they they weren't like dreadful. It wasn't dreadful music. It wasn't like music that you want to listen to. It, it wouldn't be on your desert island catalog, but it you know it was okay. So you have to give Henry his due there. Um, now, John, I I was sitting there, and because I'd been driving for four and a half hours, the first thing I did. Uh, just before I got to John's house, I, I went to the bottle shop and bought um, eight very icy cold beers. So I was sitting at the back of uh, John's house drinking these really nice cold beers while he was talking to the gardener. And then Anna, his wife, and I hope John and Anna don't mind me mentioning them by their names, but I don't think they will. I think they'd be, they'd be fine. Um, but I, I, was drinking those, I was drinking these really nice beers and John had finished with the builder and, and himself and Anna came and sat down around the table out in the back. And this music was just cranking. Like, we, it was so loud that we had to 
watch each other's mouths as we were speaking to each other, just so we didn't, uh, you know, so we could understand each other and we didn't didn't uh, lose what we were what the other person was talking about. And uh, Anna, who's 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 John's John's wife, be- they're a beautiful couple, and Anna Anna is from France, and Anna. Anna's, Anna's very, very funny, um, but she was like saying, I, I, when you guys go to that gig tonight, when you come back, I might be in prison because I might have to go and murder this neighbor next door, uh, which I completely understood. And because I had drunk maybe three beers in 10 minutes, I had the rush of cold icy beer uh, in, in my head, and I was completely relaxed at John's house, which which I, which I am every time I'm at John's house it's like it's like a home away from home it's a second home so I was completely relaxed and I was flushed with three cans of icy cold booze and I was like yes Anna let I'll go and in my head I was thinking I can go and I'll go and I'll go over and strangle this guy for you right now I'll go and I'll go and murder this guy and uh, I'll be the hero for the day because the music will stop and everything will be, but not like actual like death murder. Just I'll go and sort this fella out. Madness, absolute madness. And then John was uh, because John has had confrontations with this guy, has had verbal confrontations with this guy. Now John, if you've ever met John, and if you're lucky, you'll meet, you'll get to meet John at some stage in your life. Um, John is not a confrontational uh, fella at all. And he will give everybody, uh, he, he's the personification of that Hamlet quote, uh, treat every man after his own desserts and who shall escape whipping. Uh, treat every man after your own honor and dignity. So John treats everybody, as far as I've seen, and I've known John since, oh my Lord, maybe 13, 14 years. John treats everybody after his own character. John does not treat people the way they behave. John treats people. John treats people. They they get to ride the John train. John does not. It, if someone is well, for example, if, so, if there's a crazy neighbor being a real prick, John doesn't treat his neighbor like a real prick. John treats his neighbor according to how John John's character is, which is a tremendous uh, tremendous virtue on John's part. Now I was a bit more on I was a bit more on Anna's side. I thought, oh, this guy might need to um, this guy might need to get a little little punished here, because some of the music he was playing was uh, there was one song about uh, dudes with short dicks, you know, and it's like John and Anna's kids are like four years old and, and nine years old, so it was like, oh, I don't know, if they need to be listening to anthems about about short dicks. I don't know if anybody needs to hear anthems about short dicks, regardless of how old they are. Um, but then this really amazing thing happened. So myself and John and Anna were all sitting out the back. Um, I was I was drinking my fourth beer. Anna was was drinking a beer, and John uh, was. I don't know if John was drinking a beer. Yeah, I think he was too. But there was this little bit of there was like a there was like a what what the hell should we do what should we do like what what the hell is all this about and Anna was out for blood and I was a little bit out for blood and, and John was was hoping for the best and then their daughter sat down 
out the back on a drum kit that John had assembled. And it, and it wasn't, <clears throat> it was a drum kit I think that he had gotten from a friend who was getting rid of it. Like it wasn't a great drum kit. It was like, it was actually, it was a very shoddy, um, it was a very, very shoddy drum kit. But if you didn't have a drum kit, this would be a great drum kit. This It'd be like the drum kit that The Cure probably had for their first rehearsal. It was that kind of a drum kit. But it was a one, two, three, four-piece drum kit with a hi-hat and cymbals and a bass and a kick. And the music that was blaring over the speakers from next door, from Crazy Henry, Old Man Henry, um, John's daughter started playing along to the music. And she was doing a really good job of it too. But in that, in that little moment, it was evidence of pure Taoism. Uh, this was leaning into the pain. This wasn't fighting the pain. This wasn't confront. In my head, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to go over and be the hero and go and tackle Henry and choke him out and make him unconscious and then turn the stereo off. And, and then in my petty heart, I wanted to threaten him and saying, if this happens again, Henry, I'm coming back over here and next time it won't be so good for you. Even though hypothetically in this imagined scenario, it wasn't good for you anyway, it's gonna be even worse the next time. Um, and in Anna's head, she was ready to go to jail that night. Uh, and and John, in John's head, he, you know, he was kind of, he was hoping for the best and it would play itself out. And um, But in the mind of their uh, daughter, their, their, their eldest child, still a very young child, she sat down at this at the drum kit that John had set out in the backyard and started playing along to the music that was blaring over the fence. And it was, yeah, it was literally, it was a moment of, that's how you, that, that's how you contend with the world. You, you, you don't contend with it. The only thing that you really have control over is your response. That's the only thing you have control over, is your response to everything. And, and, and John's and Anna's daughter yesterday was, was like a, uh, yeah, it was like a Taoist monk that was just responding to absolute chaos. And it was absolute chaos, the volume and and the and the dance music at two in the afternoon, and she responded to it and used it as an opportunity to get better at the drums. And and what was even more incredible is that after she was playing the drums along with this with this uninvited music that was sailing over the over the six foot fence and the and the geranium bush, uh, then old fella Henry turned off the music. So not only was it a tremendous response from a, how do I deal with this situation? How do I deal with this loud invasion of, of music? Well, I'm gonna jump on the drum kit and I'm gonna practice my rhythm. But it also negated the power that old fella Henry thought he was having because perhaps in his head he was thinking, oh my Lord, they're, they're enjoying it. 
what I'm what I, the reason why I'm playing this obnoxiously loud music uh, is is not having an effect. It's not taking hold the way I want to. They're actually using it. They're learning from it. They're improving themselves. They're getting they're they're getting they're better musicians. So I better turn it off and I better go inside. And that's exactly what he did. And it was it was absolutely tremendous. So we went we went and played at the Noble Falls Tavern, and then this morning, uh, myself and we hit the road. Myself and Wilco. Now again, this is not Wilco the band. This is Wilco the Jack Russell. Uh, so myself and Wilco hit the hit the road. Uh, he didn't come to the Noble Falls. He he stayed in in the backyard. He stayed back with uh, with Anna and and, and the kids, and, and and he had a great time. Uh, so myself and Wilco hit the road early in the morning, and then we we uh, drove down to Bunbury. And I don't really know how to describe Bunbury. It's a it's it's quite an unusual um, place. It's quite an unusual operation and, and where the brewery was situated wasn't actually in Bunbury it was like 30 kilometers out of Bunbury uh, or what's that 30 30 or 48 miles in our uh, no is that the other way around I can't do the conversion anyway it was a little bit out of Bunbury uh, and on the entrance to to the brewery there was a big sign that said strictly no dogs which obviously, you know, that that, that wasn't uh, that wasn't the sign that I was hoping to see, and uh, I don't think it was the sign that that, that Wilco was hoping to see. Um, but I, I I got out there and I set up, and while I was playing the the first set, and there were so many flies. Oh my lord! Yeah, so we're back in the Sahara, the castle covered with with treacle and and uh, and, and cinnamon sugar. Surrounded by giraffes, uh, her shitting everywhere, camels, just ridiculous. And um, and then people started to roll up with their dogs, and they were sitting on, in the beer garden. And the beer garden, this Australian beer garden, had a football pitch on it with football posts, and uh, and and cricket equipment. So every now and then there would be, uh, people would just get up and like have a little game of kanga cricket or kick a footy on this beer garden. Like it was quite a beautiful, beautiful sight. Um, and it was nice to see so many different kinds of people, like literally different kinds of people, like different species of people. There, there, there was, um, when you talk like, yeah, when, when you're thinking of diversity, you, there's, there's literally every kind of person under the sun. There were, there was Asian people, there was African people, there was white people. Um, and, there were maybe 700 trillion flies for everyone's eyelids and nostrils and ears. Oh, I don't know what it is with flies. I do not know what it is with flies. But Wilco started off in the car, and then once I saw the other dogs come in, I, I was like, I, I think um, the, the fact that the sign said strictly no dogs, I was like, okay. Because usually if it just said no dogs, I'd be like, Ah, uh, surely one dog would be okay. But the fact that it said strictly no dogs, I was like, oh, geez, uh, right, these guys are serious. They've gone to the trouble of paying 
for a sign to actually say uh, strictly no dog. So Wilco's going to have to stay in the car. Now, it wasn't that hot, and I, I got him under a nice, I think it was a nice big pepper tree, but I'm not sure. I don't really know if it was a pepper tree. In fairness, I don't really know what a pepper tree looks like. But uh, Wilco was happy in there. But then I brought him out, after I saw these dogs, I brought him out for the, the second set. And Wilco, he is, he's going through quite a strange period in his life. Now, he's 11 in dog years. I know we've talked about this before, which makes him 77 uh, years old uh, in, in human years. Um, and he's literally getting, he's getting a bit curmudgeon -y. Like he's getting, he's, it's, it's been two days in a row now where young children have gone to pat him. And I mean, young children, like three years old, two years old, like young children. And Wilco has like this magical quality, not just with children, and I don't know what it is. It might be something that all dogs have. Is that people? They're just dog people are drawn to them. They're they they're like magnets. They're empathy magnets. People people uh, and people people just their hearts break and mourn over uh, the simplest thing of of a dog or Wilco sitting by himself with no one around him. Uh, and I saw it today, like people were, because I tied him up to one of the benches. I couldn't tie him up right near where I was because the speakers would be too loud for him. So I asked, I asked the table if I could, if I could tie him, if I could loop his lead around the leg of their uh, chair. That's him barking at the back now. And um, and there was three women and one one man, one man, one man, one man. There were three women and one man, and they were probably in their 30s and 40s. And they said, yeah, of course, absolutely. And they all got a bit excited. Like They were all like, oh, yeah, of course he can. Of course he can uh, loop his lead around the leg of the chair. And it was a long bench that they were sitting on, and I went to tie it away from them because I didn't want, to, didn't want to impose. But, yeah, like I said, I couldn't have him tied up next to me because – even though I'm just playing an acoustic guitar, the, the speakers would be, would be too loud for him. So they said, tie him closer down this end, like as in towards us. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I tied, we, I tied, we tied, tied Wilco around the, uh, around the leg of the bench that was closest to them. And uh, there was a, you know, a bit of back and forth, a bit of thanks very much. A bit of, oh, isn't he lovely? And a bit of me saying, oh, no, he's not. And then um, I went to play the second set. And within a song, one of the women at the table had picked Wilco up off the ground. He's a little dog. He's a Jack Russell. He's about the size of a, of a big handbag. And she, what is he? Is it a big handbag? He's like the size of a hot water bottle with a tail. And a, and a Jack Russell head and four Jack Russell legs. And within, yeah, maybe within two songs, she had picked Wilco up and she had him upside down and his back was on her thighs 
Now, previous to this, her partner, her husband or her boyfriend was rubbing her thighs. He had his hand on her thighs. And since the induction, the introduction of Wilco to their lives, the, the fella was pushed aside a little bit. She put her legs on the, on, the, on the bench that they were sitting on. She stretched out her two legs and put Wilco upside down on his back. So Wilco was lying on his back with his legs in the air, uh, his tail kind of sticking up, and he was getting his belly scratched. Now, 15 minutes earlier, he was stuck in the front seat of the car with the windows down in a dog's bed with a little cup of water in case he needed an emergency drink. And now all of a sudden he's upside down on a strange woman's legs getting his belly scratched while everyone at the table is fawning over him, telling not only telling him he's so beautiful, but also telling me that he's so beautiful. And one of the women even went so far as to say that Wilco, the 77-year-old Jack Russell, was, was, must have been my muse. So it was, it, was all, you know, it was very, very traumatic. But then three or four or five songs later, and we were getting towards the, like, the end of the set. Well, not the end of the set, but we were, we were getting through. I keep saying we. It was just me playing music by myself. And then the the table of four, they were they were leaving. So the fellow who was rubbing his hands on this lady's thighs before Wilco turned up, he went into the bar and he came back with these takeaway brown paper bags that had beer in them because we were at a brewery. So it was like, oh, these guys are are rolling out. And then they walked out and they left Wilco on his lead tied up underneath a chair and this was completely unacceptable in Wilco's head this was just absolutely this was not on because now not only was he alone he wasn't getting his belly rubbed and he wasn't upside down and to make matters worse he now had to contend with all the flies so because Wilco doesn't have any hands or doesn't have any fly swatters or doesn't have any olive branches, which some of the people in the beer garden were using to get rid of the flies, all Wilco could do was snap and chomp at them and try to catch them in his mouth. And after about three minutes, you could just see that he was not happy with the new arrangements and the flies were... Uh, the flies were torturing, torturing him the way they had been torturing everybody else. And then he, in protest to that, started to just do a little bark every 60 seconds. Just a little... <coughs> so I was doing my very best renditions of my own music Um trying not to inhale the flies and trying to make her, trying to, you know, trying to, I won't go as far to say put on a good show because it's not like a show. It's like a musician in a beer garden while, while there's people just eating their lunch and having beers and wines and stuff. But I was doing, I was doing my best. 
the best renditions of my songs. And then, yeah, every 60 seconds. And then a chomp. And you might get one or, you know, one fly or whatnot. And then I was just thinking, I think this fella needs to go back in the car. But then this little group of kids came because with every great beer garden uh, and with, with every great group of adults having fun together, there's always the the, the horde, the cohort of kids that are, are bumming around. Um, and they've, they've had their bowl of chips and, and they've... they've they they drank their waters, or if they're lucky, they got some Mountain Dew or some thick shakes or some uh, cocoa or or whatever it is. So the kids were all past that, and now they were just wandering around the beer garden. And they um, two of them came up to to attend to Wilco because Wilco was now all by himself alone. Now, and that's the other point I was getting at. If there was a man sitting at that beer garden table by himself say, listening to the music or maybe just there by himself, reading a book, checking his phone, having a beer, people would just be, oh, that's, 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 look at that, that man's, yeah, it's absolutely reasonable and acceptable. But the fact that there's a Jack Russell there and the fact that he's, has a lead attached to his neck, attached to a collar around his neck. Now, keep in mind, this lead is over a meter long and the dog itself is only 20 centimeters long. But when people see the dog there, there's this uh, thing that pops up that that dog needs saving, that dog needs rescuing. And there's like an indignance, an indignance, an indignity. No, no, an indignance. All right, I'm going to write that one down. I have to check that one. But there is a sense of indignance maybe, or there is an indignance where people have to attend to this dog and save him from the misery of being by himself tied to a, uh, a a chair in a beer garden but these little kids came up and went to pat wilco and i don't know if it's if it's if they it didn't look like they were patting him the wrong way but they went to pat him and his he flared his teeth he flared the the sorry the lips his his top lip came right off the top of his teeth and he gave them a, he gave them a really uh, a deep, well as deep as a, a tiny Jack Russell can, can, can muster, but he gave them this nasty growl, and he was ready to um, snap at them. So now I have a dog that I have to bring around with me, uh, that I <laughs> that I have to bring around to these gigs. I now have a dog um, that is so old and so curmudgeon that he now likes to bite children's fingers. So it all just gets a bit more uh, complex than it needs to, but this is the situation that we find ourselves in. So we're going to play a song to end the episode. There were quite a few things I didn't get to, but that's okay. We can get to them. We can get the. We can get to them uh, on on the next one. Um, I think we're going to play a song called "I Get Lost in You," which is the. Well, I was supposed to have put a song on in episode ten, but this uh, this 
as it turns out, this will be the first time we put a song on. And we're going to put a song on episode 30 and episode 40. Uh, and speaking of, of drawing back the curtains, drawing back the curtains of, of, of life, when, when I was at episode two or three, I had a conversation with a friend who said, imagine episode 20. Imagine what that's going to be like. And here we are. We're at episode 20. And it's not a... The curtain has been drawn back. The curtain has been completely drawn back. So now to think of episode 40 or 60 or 80, uh, yeah, it's not a big deal now. Whereas, whereas episode 20 was unimaginable. But here we are. Yet here we are. Um, so this is a song... Uh, this is a song that uh, is called I Get Lost In You. This is written uh, for Fiona. And, and this is a um, this is a very special song. It's a very, very special song. And I think it's fitting that this is the first song ever on, on Talking Wild Madness. And it was recorded here in Albany by Michael Cranage. And Michael Cranage has an extraordinary ability to record a song that if you were to do it elsewhere might take two or three days, but he can he can do it in about 40 minutes, uh, which which absolutely suits me and um, down down to the ground because I don't, I don't like being in there uh, recording and then, sitting down and at the desk and going back in and doing this and going back in and doing that. So, uh, yeah, this, this is uh, recorded by Michael Kranich, um, and it's for Fiona from, from Tasmania. And I'll, I think I'll let the song speak, speak for itself. Um, it's, uh, of all the songs that I've ever written, this is probably, this is probably in my top three um, I think I think it might be in my top three. Might even be in my top two. Yeah, I know. I know. We said we might play the coast, but maybe we'll play the coast for for episode thirty. Um, yeah, the coast would be right up there, uh, and this 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 is um, this would also be up there for me. I get lost in you when I see your face. I get lost in you When you call my name I get lost in you When you say you feel the same Nothing else for me to do Nothing else Feel so true I get lost in you Well I walk to meet you In your quiet little town Made me want to kiss you Before you even sat down you laugh like you love Unbridled and unwound I just had to keep my cool Not drink too much Not act a fool 
Probably not 